0: Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being obsessed. <laughs>
1: Welcome, Obsessives. Welcome, Heidi. You are listening to Obsession. Hello, Heidi. Hello, Becky.
0: Hello, everyone.
1: We're back.
0: <laughs> like, finally. Yeah, I, I
1: think we can pretty much say that discipline and uh, routine isn't our strong point. Well, definitely
0: not this year. I no, think not this year. <laughs> I think no. it's kind of a hard year.
1: Yeah, I, I think that we can be forgiven for our... Um, Slightly random and intermittent podcast, giving everything that not only us, but the world's going through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's been a really, really difficult time, but yeah. I have missed it so much. So have I. So have I.
1: And regardless of what else goes on, I don't know about you, but I always look forward to when we do actually get our act together enough to do one.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. 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 So. We're in lockdown five here in Victoria. Yeah. What number lockdown are you in at the moment? Two.
1: We're in two. Okay. Yeah. We're in
0: lockdown five and yeah. we were supposed to come out of it on Wednesday. Yeah, same but for us. Yeah. I have no idea if we actually will or not. So, you know, it has been really hard. And certain parts of my brain are recovering and different parts of my brain are melting down. Yes, 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 yes. So our
1: lockdown has been a week this current one has been yeah. a week shorter than yours. But you've also experienced the whole, what was it, four months last year? Was our was... uh,
0: it was more than that. Yeah, yours it was, was it, it went on for a long time. Y- a yeah. long time. Most oh, of the year. Yeah. 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 It did.
1: Yeah. So
0: but yeah, no,
1: I'm I'm struggling to concentrate on anything much. And I kind of this particular lockdown, I sort of went into a bit of denial and I sort of just sort of went home and thought, oh, I'm working from home. And then I sort of went to go out and I went, oh, no, wait a minute, we're in lockdown. I, I You know what I mean? So oh yeah, I think I blocked it a bit. I don't yes. know. Yeah, I know
0: exactly what you mean. Yeah, look, I, I definitely know what you mean about concentration. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm getting my reading mojo back, but I'm finding it difficult to listen to music. And that's not like you, is it? No. No, because I find right now that listening to music is actually making me feel lonely. Yeah. Yeah, like I've never been a huge live music person because I hate crowds, but I'm really missing shows and concerts at the moment and I'm just feeling disengaged with a lot of things, including music. See,
1: I am strangely slightly the opposite at the moment. So I generally mostly have a silent home and you know I, I like silence yeah um, but the last few weeks I, I have to have music going all the time even when I'm sleeping I've got some kind of music going on so I don't know if it's a company thing or a comfort thing or a distraction thing but yeah we've sort of moved into the opposite realms yeah, here, Heidi. yeah
0: I know and strangely enough even with all of that it was a band that had me completely <laughs> obsessed and wanting to do a podcast episode. No, I was so
1: excited when you got excited. Yeah. We, we tend to feed off each other a bit like that yeah. anyway. Yeah. obsessions. Yeah. 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 Well, there is actually a lot of loneliness and strangeness in this band, so it's quite appropriate how you feel, Heidi. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've read the title of tonight's episode, you probably know it's about a band called the Shags although chances are that you might not have heard of them before. Now I did know about this band and I always did like them but
0: I did not know about their incredible story. So do you like them on a musical level or do you like them ironically or you know a bit of both? A bit of both but mostly musical but you also know that my taste in music is
1: strange so For those of you who don't know, one of mine and Heidi's first bonding experiences was the bad music challenge on some discussion boards. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the aim of this particular evil game was that participants would take turns posting the most painful, agonizing music that they could possibly find. And you had to listen, everyone else had to listen all the way through. If they couldn't listen all the way through, they bowed out of the competition. And I do believe that it was you and me at the end. Yeah. And you only won because you discovered my musical kryptonite. Opera.
0: (laughs) And it was Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh, my God, it it was too. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. Now, see, for someone who likes bad music like myself, I really really hate Florence Foster and it's probably just because it was opera I mean if she came up with some kind of you know I don't know 30s track or you know 80s track I'd probably love her (laughs) (laughs) yeah but anyway so the more discordant the music is generally I do like it I'm not being a wanker when I say that either I I just I like it I like Mm. it um so yeah I like their music but I actually knew nothing at all about the backstory until you
0: raised it this week Heidi Well, you know what? I I went to the supermarket and I uh, was playing the shags in my earphones. Yes. um, As I was, you know, walking up and down the aisles in Woolworths. And look, I've got to admit that after a while, I didn't hate it. Yes. There was something about them that grew on me a little bit. Um, I would not call myself a fan. Um, unlike you, I'm I'm a really strongly melodic person. I no. don't really like discordant music.
1: Yeah, but it was
0: really funny because um, I was listening to it um, on YouTube, and every now and again I'd go, "Oh my gosh, wow, they were!" And I'd realize it was a commercial and it's YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, so back to
1: that whole not concentrating well and being a bit vague during lockdown. Yeah. (laughs) Are you okay, Heidi? I'm
0: I'm okay-ish, yeah. (laughs) Well, hold on to (laughs) that-ish. Well, Well, this particular bit of rock and roll history starts in the mid-1960s with the least rock and roll person you could possibly imagine. A man named Austin Wigan Jr. What a name! <laughs> Austin Wigan Jr. Junior. He sounds like a cartoon worm. I was about to say that. It sounds like a Simpsons character or something. Or like yeah, like a worm, like a cartoon worm. Oh, a cartoon worm. Well, should... yeah. Wigan, Wigan, Wigan. There's a bit of confirmation yeah. bias I reckon. <laughs> so, Austin Wigan Jr a mill hand in the rural North Hampshire town of Fremont. Austin was known by his neighbours as a miserable sort of man, sour faced and unfriendly. He was deeply conservative and seemed to regard himself as superior to his fellow blue collar workers austin wiggins was not somebody you could ever call whimsical or open-minded or alternative but he did have one surprising quirk a belief in palmistry and a conviction that his mother's predictions were always correct his mother had read his palm when he was a little boy and she'd made three predictions that were to have enormous repercussions a generation later. The first was that he would marry a woman with strawberry blonde hair. The second was that his mother would die before her grandsons were born. And the third was that he would have daughters who would form a band and become incredibly rich and successful musicians. Well, Austin married Annie who did have strawberry blonde hair and yes his mother did die before his first son was born and Austin decided that if she'd been right about the first two predictions then surely the third must be part of the near future. You know I'm a little bit skeptical about that if you've been told since you were a child that you were going to marry someone with a certain hair colour, you'd pay special attention to people with that hair colour? Oh, yeah. You? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just just quick um, sideways step
1: here. Yeah. About palmistry. And I, I've done a little bit of palmistry in my background. Yeah. As would not shock you, right? Yeah. And um. <laughs> There, there is nothing in the lines that tells you that you're going to meet someone who's strawberry blonde or a band. I mean, you get you get particular parts where, you know, significant things happen in your life yeah. or, you know, you can tell the sex of children or how many children. But I don't know whether she was scrying a little bit as well or, you know, doing a bit of psychic medium stuff as well. But it just seems like a very um, not, not palmistry sounding prediction to me. But anyway.
0: It's just incredibly specific. Very, very specific and,
1: no, you're absolutely right. That if, If you've been told all the way through your childhood you're going to marry a strawberry blonde woman, you're going to be looking out for a strawberry blonde woman. Confirmation bias.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Austin turned his attention towards his three eldest daughters, Helen, Betty and Dorothy, who was always known as Dot. They were sweet, placid, and extremely ordinary in every way. None of them had ever shown any particular musical talent or need to stand out. On the contrary, they were very quiet and socially awkward. Nonetheless, his mother had said that they would form one of the most famous bands in America and Austin's belief in her predictions was close to religious. His wife, Annie, might have had misgivings, but nobody would have known. Austin was head of the family, and Annie was compliant and obedient, just the way he liked it. Because, of course, that's how he would have liked it. (laughs) Mm.
1: So, basically, Austin wasn't your typical rock band manager. He hated rock music and rock stars and he particularly despised a young up-and-coming British group called the Beatles who he thought were ridiculous. He did however like the idea of his family having global acclaim and a life free from the poverty that dogged them continuously. Austin made the extravagant purchase of two electric guitars and a drum set and he turned the basement into a makeshift music studio. Helen, Betty and Dot were then informed that they were to drop out of high school immediately and start learning music. It's almost impossible to know how the girls felt about being taken out of school, as they've never fully addressed this. But we do know that they weren't given a choice. Betty and Dot were given the guitars and Helen was told to take the role of drummer. They knew absolutely nothing about music. Austin thought that a good name for them would be the Shags, inspired by the fashionable haircut of the time. There's debate about whether or not the girls ever received any musical training, but it does seem that they did take some lessons in guitar, drum and voice, although their teachers remain unknown. Probably don't want to be known. (laughs) Dot was the band's songwriter and she was the only one of the three who showed any sort of interest in their dad's project. Although, if given a chance, none of them would have chosen the life that was to come next.
0: For the next five years, Dot, Betty, and Helen would spend most of their days in the basement, figuring out how to write songs using the few guitar chords and drumming patterns they knew. They were not allowed to date, have friends or have anything resembling a social life. Austin wanted no distractions from their music. When he came home from work, he would listen to what they had come up with during the day and he would demand that they play it over and over until he decided it was correct. After dinner, he instructed them to do their physical exercises, mainly involving star jumps and push ups. He wanted them to be in shape in case they got a call from the Ed Sullivan show, though how he thought Ed Sullivan would know about their basement music was a mystery. I really don't like him, Heidi. (laughs) Neither do I. During these years, the girls showed an astonishing lack of teenage rebellion. Apart from an occasional sneaky trip to go swimming in the lake, they really did resign themselves to an almost monastic life. They were the basement dwelling hostages of their dad's unhinged ambition. And that was that. Their two permitted excursions were the weekly grocery shopping and church on Sunday. John Ronson, in his BBC Radio 4 interview with Dot and Betty, claims that growing up, the sisters had no music in their lives. Their father, Austin, wouldn't allow it. Ronson also describes them as like a girl group of Casper Houses out in the countryside, homeschooled, separated from society, pretty much inventing music from scratch. Yes. If you heard practically no music and you're told to create music, What will it sound like? Mm. Now, as much as I like Ronson and his way of describing things, and I really like the idea of a group of Casper houses, (laughs) um, I think this idea of the Wigan girls being musical primitives needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Now, they have mentioned in several accounts that there was radio and television in their home. Dot, in particular, was a fan of Herman's Hermits. They would have heard music at church and most likely came into contact with some contemporary music during their weekly food shop. Look, um, I, do, I do think it's safe to say that their musical influences were incredibly limited and their knowledge of popular culture would have been tiny, but I don't, I don't know about the idea of them creating music from scratch.
1: Where did that mythology come from, do you think? like they
0: they've said otherwise yeah i don't know i mean it does make the story more interesting doesn't it yeah 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 of course yeah i mean it's already interesting enough (laughs) (laughs) 60s counterculture scene of sex drugs and rock and roll would have been a completely foreign concept to any member of the wigan household especially to the three girls who were allowed almost no life experience outside the home. So what does a rock band write about when their members are living in a stunted and secluded adolescence? The Shags sang songs about their parents, their lost cat, imaginary boys, and Jesus. One particularly haunting song, Who Are Parents?, is an ode to obedience, with the lyrics... Who are parents? Parents are the ones who really care. Who are parents? Parents are the ones who are always there. Some kids think their parents are cruel just because they want them to obey certain rules. They start to lean from the ones who really care, turning from the ones who will always be there. That's so rock and roll, isn't it? (laughs) It is (laughs) not it
1: not um you know i really do think that our listeners actually have to hear this so we might put a bit in here
0: yeah totally
1: Well, so, Heidi, do you think that the girls actually wrote the lyrics to this song or do you think they were sort of prompt? Do you think about how controlling Austin was?
0: Well, do you know what? I I was listening to an interview with Dot and Betty and they said that they were sincere when they wrote those lyrics.
1: Aww.
0: They were because... Okay, so they were just brainwashed then? <laughs> yes, and, and they said that they had heard... That there were kids out there that that were disobeying their parents and they wanted to set a good example. Oh dear. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well. <laughs> oh dear. I want to go back in time and rescue them. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, in 1968, Austin decided that the girls were ready to perform in public. At this point, Betty was 18, Dot was 20, and Helen was 22. In most small towns in the 60s, girls of these ages were getting married, starting families, but the Wigan girls were still under the thumb of their father and living a strange extended childhood. They were forced to go on stage at a talent show in Exeter and it was to be the first of many public humiliations. The audience loudly mocked their music incompetence and threw soda cans at them girls had spent years doing nothing but practice their instruments yet they still had very abstract concepts of rhythm and timing to say the least Mm -hmm. and they seemed to be singing and playing three different songs at the same time years later rolling stone magazine would describe them as the lobotomized von trapp family singers and god knows how this first audience would have described them austin cared nothing for their distress and humiliation They would practice more and they would perform more and he would not accept any argument. Taking advantage of the fact that the kids and teenagers of Fremont had absolutely nowhere to go on a Sunday night, Austin obtained permission to host dances at the town hall for Fremont's board youth. The music was to be provided by, you guessed it, the
0: Shags. And you can actually find some footage of one of these shows on YouTube.
1: I know. Fascinating, isn't it? So fascinating. I know. So it does actually look like the attendees were at least having fun. The Wiggins ordered in crates of sodas to be sold at the refreshment stand and a Fremont tradition was born. The dances were popular and not because of the music. The local kids were desperate for a place to go on weekends And if having to dance to the bizarre and discordant music of the Wiggins family was the price for getting out of the house and mucking around with friends, they would pay it. Do you know, when I was about 13, I lived in a very remote um, military base. Yeah, And they decided to turn one of the old houses, a very nice soldier decided, you know, the kids need something to do. And so he started a little um, like youth club. Mm-hmm. In one of the abandoned houses, and when I was looking at the footage of the shags and and all the kids, you know, playing up, yeah, I I I had flashbacks to it because oh my the, the music was terrible, <laughs> the music was awful, and and the the soda pops were we had like this soda. Oh, my God. They Obviously, someone had bought a soda stream or something. Yeah. So so, so the fizzy drinks were absolutely awful. But we had a ball because we had a place to go and we thought we were, like, you know, rock stars. Oh,
0: my God. You would have felt so grown up. I did. I did. Yeah, out clubbing. Out. Yeah, out clubbing. So, you know what? The kids of Fremont were definitely having fun, but this didn't mean that they were kind to the band.
1: No.
0: On the contrary, the girls had to duck flying soda cans and pretend to be oblivious to insults every Saturday night. Their younger sister, Rachel, who had started high school, was being constantly bullied about her sisters. And Dot, Betty and Helen felt worse for her than they did for themselves. Saturday nights were difficult but they were also the closest thing to a social life they had. On Sunday mornings, the girls would return to the hall to scrub the scuff marks off the dance floor. You know, these girls sound like they were really nice. Oh, do you know what? I, I do get the feeling that they were. And I get the feeling from footage and interviews of them as they are now that they're still lovely women oh yeah yeah i really really do yeah yeah so austin's next move was to have the shags record an album the girls were utterly dismayed betty recalls walking into fleetwood studios thinking that she just wanted the ordeal to be over as quickly as possible dot admits that the recording session did make her feel special but even her enthusiasm dropped over the day-long session the studio engineer was completely perplexed (laughs) sessions were very expensive at sixty dollars per hour a huge amount of money for a blue-collar family in the 60s imagine that sixty dollars an hour a lot of money yeah and he felt guilty about taking their money when the band was so obviously not ready for recording. Austin brushed aside the engineers' misgivings with the words, I want to get them while they're hot. (laughs) The album was named after the opening song, Philosophy of the World. My favourite description of this album was written by Matt Fink for Paste Magazine. It's like discovering the folk music of a culture you can barely believe exists, where all the convention of rhythm and tone are upended. The patterns are elliptical and random. The melodies bend and sigh, often tapering off at odd points and never resolving quite where you expect. (laughs) Adding to the surreal quality, it sounds as if the sisters all can play in time but can't play in time with each other, leading to the impression of three musicians performing slightly different songs simultaneously.
1: That's a really
0: good description. I, I think Matt Fink did a great job there. Mm. And I think we need to hear philosophy of the world. Well, part of it, absolutely. But anyway. <laughs> Here we go.
1: So that one's actually probably their most
0: famous. Well, Apart from My Pulse because... Foot Foot. <laughs> I, I think My Pulse foot, foot is the favourite. Yeah, no, you're right.
1: Yeah. You're right. <laughs> so, Austin paid someone to press 1,000 copies of this record, but legend has it that he only received 100. They were sent to radio stations, but unsurprisingly, they did not get played. Much to the girls' delight, the Saturday night concerts at the Fremont Town Hall came to an end in 1973. The city council were concerned about rumours of fights and drug deals going on during the dances, and they closed them down. At this point, Betty was 23, Dot 25, and Helen 27. It's quite old to be in your dad's band. Yeah. Yeah. Then one of Austin's co-workers told him of a rumour that was circulating around town about Helen. She was married. When forced, Helen confessed that yes, she had secretly married a boy she'd met during a town hall dance and when she'd gone home to tell the family, her courage completely failed her. She said nothing and continued to live at home for a further three months before she was found out. In a rage, Austin chased down her husband with a shotgun and had to be restrained by police. He really is a controlling... anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's quite telling in itself. Mm. Helen was kicked out of the band, something that had to have been a great relief to her. Betty and Dot, however, continued to live at home and were forced to carry on with their sad music career. Playing at local events... And facing the ridicule of the town over and over again. Helen even rejoined them even though she was a married woman with a home of her own. Such was the power of Austin Wigan. Then one day in 1975 Austin died of a heart attack. The second he died the shags were no more and Betty and Dot were free to begin their adult lives.
0: You know, something I find really interesting is that even as old women, Betty and Dot don't ever say anything harsh about their father. Because they're so nice. <laughs> they, they're too nice. Yes. They Look, they say that he was strict. They say that he was controlling. But they don't ever seem to admit he was abusive, which he absolutely was.
1: But when you're, but when you're living in a situation like that and when it's the norm to you and when you have those love feelings... And, you know, before the era of the internet and Mm. exploring
0: this now, Mm. I I can see why they still kind of believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and, and they really needed to believe he was a good man. Yeah. So eventually, all the sisters got married and had families and worked typical small town blue collar jobs. They never played instruments and had no interest in reminiscing over their past lives as musicians. Helen struggled with debilitating depression for many years and sadly took her own life in 2006. One sinister aspect of the story that we haven't mentioned yet is the town rumour that Austin had been sexually abusing his daughters. All daughters, except for Helen, refuted the rumour and after their father died, Helen did state that there was one occasion when he had been inappropriate with her.
1: Yeah, I'm a
0: bit suspicious.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Where are uh, you at on that one?
0: I, I wouldn't put it past Austin. No. no. I certainly wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. No, I, I tend to believe Helen.
1: So do I. And Helen obviously had, you know, terrible depression and other mental health issues. So you have to wonder, you know, did they stem from something else, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that there were these rumours in this town, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, her word alone is enough for me. Absolutely. To to believe that that there was more to him than just a controlling father.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, Austin didn't just haunt his own children. The person who bought the Wiggins' house after the death of Annie Wiggins claimed that he couldn't get rid of Austin's angry ghost. You know, I really believe that too. Yeah. (laughs) I really do. yeah,
1: Yeah. So, the sisters may have discarded their music, but there were other people who were determined not to let it vanish completely. In, in 1976, Frank Zappa praised Philosophy of the World in an interview and even went as far to say that the Shags should perform at the next presidential inauguration. It's hard to tell if that was tongue-in-cheek or sincere, but considering Zappa's support of other outsider musicians such as Wild Man Fisher, who, as you know, Heidi, I'm obsessed with, mm-hmm. it is probable that he did have some appreciation of them. Both band and album were forgotten until 1980 when members of the band NRBQ stumbled across the album and convinced their record label to track down the sisters and have the album re-released. Not knowing if the interest in them was sincere or ironic or probably a little bit worried they were being mocked still, Mm. the sisters were doubtful, but eventually agreed to the reissue. Kurt Cobain famously cited Philosophy of the World as being in his top favourite Alb- top five favourite albums and Lester Bangs said they were better than the Beatles. In 1999, the sisters were talked into reforming the band for one night to play a guest spot at NRQB's 30th anniversary concert. Helen was too sick to go on stage, but Dot and Betty performed with NRQB's own drummer. The women formerly known as the Shags then drifted back into their lives of short-term work, babysitting grandchildren and dealing with intergenerational poverty. Then they were discovered by the most influential people in the world, New York hipsters.
0: Of course the New York hipsters found them. They, (laughs) They tick all the boxes. They're obscure. They have a bizarre backstory. And if you don't like the music, you can appreciate it in an ironic way. The thing is, people weren't just liking them in an ironic way. They were using words like genius and, com- and claiming that the Shags were proto-punks. And look, I disagree that they're punk. Agree. You know, punk's an attitude. It's like, we can't play these instruments and we don't care. But the Shags really did care. You know, they practised. They wanted to make their dad happy. They wanted to please everybody. So that's really not punk. And, look, as for being genius, I do wonder if it's tied to the sort of pretension that says that if other people don't get something, it's because they're not smart enough. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, You know,
1: I have found myself since... You telling me about the backstory mm. and more research into it, um, I've lost my enjoyment of them a tiny bit. Yeah. So, Wild Man Fisher really enjoyed his music, the true outsider musician, right? Mm. He really put his soul into it and his mental illness, you know. Um, and it, it, it truly is stunning. But I, I don't know, knowing that the girls hated doing it so much and that it really did cause them real embarrassment and distress takes away it's not it's not an art for them does that make sense to you yeah, no, not an yeah. Art, it, it
0: absolutely does and it's look, just trauma
1: yeah
0: and look the girls themselves have always been the first to admit that they were terrible yeah you know they 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 weren't Florence Foster Jenkins no they never at any point thought that they were good they were doing it because they were forced to yeah they were doing their best and um even now, they don't really understand,
1: no, you know, why no.
0: why people are rediscovering their music. So a whole um,
1: lot of hipsters and idiots like me have sort of <laughs> well, <not laughs> no, no seriously. We we, we we've um uh, take we've been as controlling as the father. We've taken it on as this, you know, cool outsider music when it was just actually something they really didn't enjoy and it was horrible for them. So
0: yeah, do you see what I mean about why yeah.
1: I, I no longer kind of find it?
0: Well, yeah, because you're listening to child abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, I do, I, I do understand why people might genuinely like them, because there is something very sweet. Yeah, that that comes through because they were sweet people. There is a sweetness that comes through. Yeah. Um, but you know. <laughs> Say, saying that what they did was deliberate, and they were mm. deliberately nah. being experimental. Nah. No, they weren't. No, they, they weren't. They at weren't. all. They weren't you know? at all. But
1: see, this is the thing, though. You can, you can now, like, for now, for me, anyway. I knew nothing about them. I just love their music. Um, but now, I kind of really love them. <laughs> really genuinely Yeah. I want to know them. I want to make yes. friends with them. Do you know what I mean? Um, yes. Now I don't know that I like their music, but there you go. Yeah.
0: Well, look, whatever anyone thinks of their music, the fact remains that it's extremely difficult to play. Jesse Krakow, a musician <laughs> from New York, staged a Shag's tribute. He put together a band of highly skilled professional musicians, and they set about reproducing songs exactly as they'd been recorded. It was incredibly hard. The shags may not have had a conventionally good technique, but there are very complicated patterns in the drumming in particular that are almost impossible to replicate. Krakow managed to coax Betty and Dot to perform with them, and the women were stunned and delighted that the audience knew their songs well enough to sing along. Dot was so delighted with the reception that she came out of musical retirement and she and Krakow formed the Dot Wiggins Band. So the prophecy came
1: true to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. They're not very famous and barely successful and they're definitely not rich, but they do have a debut album that's been getting reissued since 1969 and there's an awful lot of musicians who never did. Yeah. So was it a self-fulfilling prophecy, or did Austin's mother genuinely see the future? And if so, um, it would have been good if she'd been more specific and said, "Your children will have a famous band, and hate doing it. Leave them alone and let them live their lives."
0: Oh, look! I just wish their lives hadn't been so sad. I wish yeah. they, I wish they'd been allowed to have dreams of their own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, that's not
1: exactly unknown to us, is no. it? <laughs> <laughs> Half-hour podcasts are about women's dreams being extinguished by men, or in power of their lives.
0: Oh look, oh, I, I think Do you know. Sometimes I next episode we have to do a villainous woman yeah but just to even things up it's not going to work though because we've done this before
1: Heidi we will pick any topic and no matter what there is an arsehole of a man somewhere there. (laughs) I keep thinking oh my god we these horrible man-hating women or something no no right no we don't plan
0: it this way no
1: we really don't this isn't some subtle way of you know um promoting it trick or anything like that it's just in history there are so many awful men doing awful things to women that although, if there's a woman in a the story there's going to be a bad man there somewhere
0: although look I have to admit um the story that this most reminded me of was the episode we did on the fox sisters and in that case it was a very evil overbearing old sister
1: True, and I'm, I'm just trying yes. to remember what bad men there were in that story.
0: Uh, there weren't any. I mean, I'm sure there were, but
1: there, <laughs> there weren't any lead characters. And in which case the overwhelming Fox sister's ghost is coming to us
0: and going, well, actually, <laughs> the reason why. But there, there was a female villain in that one. <laughs> I know. There and was I'm a going, female I'm villain. going to make an effort to find a female villain, Although, okay? actually, no, I'm going to just
1: proffer here that she was definitely a villain, but. I mean, why? I mean, there wasn't an awful lot of opportunities available for women's
0: careers of the
1: time. <laughs> just, so maybe it wasn't one bad man but rather a societal issue of bad men.
0: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, look, we, we, yeah, yeah, we, we could. We could go there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But, oh, you know, just, just back for a second on... Um, the music being a little bit spoiled for me. It's like you and I have this horror that, you know, someone, an artist that we like is going to, you know, the the true story about them is going to come out. So, like, you know, Woody Allen, you know, his movies were really good but when you understand um, the mindset sort of behind them,
0: you see them very differently. Do you know what? I've never understood the appeal of Woody Allen movies. Even before. Even before I used to watch them and go, Yeah,
1: look there, they're all right. You were more woke than you I, were.
0: I never I never thought they were brilliant. I thought they were decent but not brilliant. I, I didn't understand why everyone was calling him a genius.
1: Oh, I don't know about genius, but
0: I always really enjoyed his movies. I yeah. really but now, of course, when you
1: see it in a different light, and we keep doing that with every podcast. I know. <laughs> we, I we, know. we shouldn't be calling it Obsession. We should be calling it Heidi and Becky
0: Ruinship. Well, the Killjoys. <laughs> the Killjoys. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good name for a band. It really, That might already be the name of a band. Actually, I think it, it is. It sounds too good to not be the name of a band. Okay, we're, we have digressed so much off yeah. the topic now. <laughs> you reckon it's time to let our listeners go well do you know what i think we should let our listeners go after they listen to a little bit of my personal favorite my pal foot i know you're gonna say that (laughs) okay here we go guys here's a little bit
1: I go to his house,
0: knock at his door. People come out and say, foot foot, don't live here no more. My pal, foot foot, foot foot, always to grow. My pal, foot foot, foot foot, he has no home. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And I did. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So, thank you very much for joining us again please subscribe to our podcast please leave a nice review and we hope to see you again soon
1: as soon as we get our act together and do the podcast (laughs) (laughs) bye Bye. bye everyone